Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This episode is going to be a bit of a history of how I got started into internet instruction or or you might say how I got to where I am today. I didn't set out to do this. That's what's uh, what I find fascinating about it. So before I get into that, this was all spurred by an email that I got from I'll call him a student of mine, an online student of mine. And that is, he's a guy, his name is Clayton, and he came along and I guess found the website, and I don't know how he discovered, you know, my stuff, and ordered a video lesson, beginning Mandolin 1. And I've seen that happen many, many times. And then... I don't know, a week or so later, I see the guy has bought Beginning Mandolin 2. Then a few weeks go by, and he's bought Beginning Mandolin 3. He's getting these video lessons. And it's it's gone on now for, I don't know, five, six videos. Kind of at a very slow pace. And and that's the way I've organized the site. I want people to be able to do that. I don't want them to have to sign up and pledge their, you know, firstborn child and give me their credit card number and put them on a subscription basis. I, I just never liked all that. I'm not going to get into my philosophy of that, but I want my material available for the guy that, you know, he's only got 10 bucks in his pocket. Now, now Clayton might be a millionaire for all I know. Um, I don't know. Um, but I want, I don't want a one size fits all marketing approach. I don't want to force anybody to subscribe. I've got lots of free stuff. Every, you know, I'm sure most people know that. Um, but when it comes down to purchasing stuff, just, I want people to get what they want when they want it. And if they want it, and that's, that's what he was doing. And he wrote me an email and his, his question, which, well, let me just read his email to you. Just, I'm, I'm not going to read the entire thing. I'm just going to read the pertinent question and a little bit leading up into it. Okay. So here's what he says. Hey, Brad, I've been using your lessons and I think I'm doing well, but I have a question. And this is exactly what I want people to do. If you have a question about my material, ask me, you know, uh, what, what better source for a possible answer, uh, than the guy that put it together. Okay. So he says, I've been getting the lessons in the order you have them listed. And that's, that's wise. I've, I didn't create them all in that order, but once I had amassed the library of video lessons and I'm here, I'm talking about mandolin, but some of this applies to the other instrument stuff that I, that I teach online too. But Clayton's playing the mandolin. He's using my mandolin downloadable videos. 
But I once I had them all completed, I created that suggested order because every now and then I would create a new lesson and I would say, well, you know what? That would make a lot of sense wedged in between number 11 and number 12. And I would insert it into the suggested uh, order of study. And so the suggested order of study has gone through several edits over the years as I've created new material. And, and a few times I've just gone back and, and re-examined it and shuffled them slightly differently. But anyway, so he's following along and he says, um, I have eight or nine and I'm ready for more. I want to learn some theory also and was thinking of ordering the masterclass book. I thought I could keep on getting the lessons in order and also learn some from the master class at the same time, splitting my time up each day to work on both. My question is, would this be too much to try to do? And do I need more experience before starting on the master class? So that's the question I'm going to answer in today's episode. I'm going to answer your question, Clayton. I was going to type him a response, but if I, if I do that, he'll be the only person that will ever receive it. And it's kind of slow thumb typing on the old iPod or, and I would probably be briefer than I would here. So I, I actually wrote him back and I said, look, do you mind if I just address your question in a podcast? That way I can blab on as long as necessary to fully flesh out and address your question. So again, his question is, he's working through some of the videos and is now a good time to jump into that book, Mandolin Masterclass. So it, before I really answer his question, I think it would be a good thing. And I, I, I told another person that emailed me back a couple of months ago um, that one of these days I'm going to tell the history of how I got into doing this. And, and let me say it like this. When I moved down to this property in Americas to, to basically get away from Atlanta and live in the country, I put in a garden and I started planting um, shrubs and bushes. I, I wanted some blackberries. I wanted some blueberries. I wanted some fruit trees. Basically, the people that lived here, they didn't even have a garden and other than the pecan trees, which produced a, a lot of food, I wanted, I, if I like, if I'm going to tend a bush, I want to be able to pick food off of the bush. I mean, I don't understand people planting ligustrum when you can't eat the berries, you know, so I wanted to uh, plant, you know, some muscadine vines and grape vines and blueberries. And, and if I'm going to have plants around, why not be able to, you know, pick the pears and eat them. So I set out little by little doing this and with mixed results, um, I planted some grape vines, which died. I planted, um, I think six blueberry bushes and I prepared, I mean, I did everything I was supposed to do and they died. Now I did plant, I planted three pear trees, one died and the other two they're now producing. They're now about four years in the ground 
since I've had them. But here's my point. Sometimes when you set out to produce something like putting a plant in the ground and you can already envision the blueberry pie you're going to eat. Sometimes it just doesn't work out like that. But right next to those blueberry bushes that all got choked out by the bahia grass, the pasture just encroached on them and I could not keep the grass from just choking the life out of them. I tried all sorts of things. But right there beside it, I planted them along this fence line. Upsprout continuously cedar trees, uh, persimmon trees, um, every kind of bush and weed imaginable just seems to grow like crazy. You know, you have to beat them back and chop them back. And, you know, the dog bane is 12 feet high out there by the water trough right now. Some things you just can't stop because they happen organically. And some things, no matter how hard you try to force it to be successful, it just doesn't. It just withers and dies away. And I think books and videos are like that. If I, back in 2004, had decided, hmm, I think I know a little something about playing a mandolin. I'm going to sit down and write a an instruction book and I'm going to price that thing at $24 and I'm going to sell a hundred a month and da -da -da -da, you know, start working it out on the calculator as a money-making project. And I think a lot of products do hit the market that way. The, in other words, it's a product in search of a market. And that is not how this book came to be. When I sat down and wrote Mandolin Masterclass, I never thought I would sell one book. It wasn't my motivation, not at all. I was working a day job. I was, I was playing in two bands, Pony Express, Cedar Hill. I was teaching private lessons, been teaching private lessons for a long, long time. I had a day job which I was thinking about getting out of, and I had uh, gone to work uh, for a piano rebuilder, and I was thinking about kind of shifting my day job employment to being a piano tuner, and I was already doing that. So I was just busy doing all kind of things, and it wasn't about the money. I didn't sit down to write that book to make some money. And it's weird. It's like that weed that sprouts up out there by the blueberry bush. The thing just grows with no effort, no, no fertilizer, no, you don't have to weed the weeds. And that's kind of how Masterclass came to be. So I just want to tell you the history of that book, which was, was and is my first instructional material that was ever offered to the public. And here's how it came to be. I had... A number of mandolin students at any given time, I would have, you know, between six and 15 students, mixture of banjo, mandolin, guitar, sometimes bass. So I always had, you know, four or five mandolin players taking weekly lessons. And one of my students was a guy named Danny Ernest, 
who lived here in Atlanta, and he, he now lives out in, in Montana, I think. Yeah, it's Montana. Anyway, Danny was taking lessons, and he had been taking lessons for, oh, I don't know, probably getting probably a year. And I was doing the usual stuff. I had little tabs of things, and I was collecting lots of material that I used to teach my students. So I had things like chord charts, and I had, I uh, typed out the chord progressions to 10 popular bluegrass songs. I had like Old Home Place, Foggy Mountain Breakdown, that kind of stuff. I put it on a sheet of paper, and I, I made that just for him. So that when he went to the jam at the Red Light Cafe, he'd have a better chance of, you know, hanging in there. I, I, I was creating just gobs of these single page little things that I would give to a particular student. Like this guy needs this and I would make him make him up a little thing on, okay, this is the pentatonic scale. And I would make him a little page and, and this stuff began to build up. And sometimes I would, you know, a new student would come along and I go, oh yeah, let me give you my you know, 14 most popular, most important guitar chords sheet that I made, you know, this stuff wasn't public. It was just stuff that I sat around and did as an, to assist my students. So Danny comes along and he's learning the usual stuff. You know, I'm showing him the basics of chords and learning tunes. He's learning, you know, Salt Creek and Cripple Creek and Boil Him Cabbage Down and Soldier's Joy. And I'm teaching him tunes and I would just tab these tunes out and print one out and say, let's work on this. He's working on chords. Well, we go to a couple of jam sessions together and, you know, at the jam, they're playing all kind of stuff that he doesn't know. So at the, at the lesson, he says something, obviously paraphrasing based on memory, he says to me, you know, I, I did okay when they played old Joe Clark because I knew the song, but they played all this other stuff and you were taking breaks on everything. How in the world, you know, did you learn to do that? And I said, you know what? Half of those songs they played, I'd never played before. I was just faking it. I was just improvising. And, you know, he's like, well, it didn't sound like it to me. It sounded like you knew the song. I said, well, you know, you learn to improvise. Once you learn to the rudiments of improvisation, then once you've picked up on the chord progressions, and if you're kind of listening to the melody a little bit, you know, you can get better at this. You can by the time it comes around for your solo, you know, you can rip off something that sounds pretty good. I said, Danny, if you, if we went to that jam session, you know, 10 weeks in a row, they're probably going to play new songs all the time. So you have to be prepared to kind of make up things on the fly. And he says to me, well, teach me how to do that. I want to know how to do that. And luckily the lesson was nearing the end. And I'm like, okay, all right, next week we'll, we'll start working on how to improvise. So I sat around the whole week thinking, I, I don't really know how I do what I do. 
I never really thought about it that much. I mean, I know I've got some ideas. Like, I know that a lot of what I'm playing is based upon the chord progression. Now, I'm speaking of a tune that I, you know, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm kind of picking up the chord progression, and then that's the basis for what I'm going to launch into during the break. But I realized that I, I had really never given it a whole lot of thought. I had never really thought about how, how is it that I'm deciding what to play and why I'm playing what. I, I don't know. So I started thinking, 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 well, what am, what am I really doing when, I, when I'm faced with something? I don't know what to play. What resources am I drawing on? And I came up with some ideas. I mean, I, the chord progression was important. And I realized that sometimes I was using what I called the pentatonic fake-out method. And sometimes I was using licks that I had mentally categorized as, oh, well, if it's on a B chord, I could play this lick because I know that lick works in train 45 when I'm playing in B. And so, you know, when, when they hit the B chord, maybe I could play a little something out around that. And I was using double stops and I was, you know, it was all sorts of things rattling around in my head, but I did not have any kind of a system. Not it was, if I did, well, let me, let me say that correctly. I did have a system, but it was mostly running in my subconscious with a little bit of conscious prodding here and there. I did have a few conscious things, but a lot of it was subconscious. In other words, if I had to explain to Danny how I did what I did, I didn't know how to explain it. So I set about, um, after about four weeks of his constantly asking me, he's like, when are you going to teach me about, so I would teach him, you know, one idea I had. Well, like you can take these licks uh, use a closed position lick and you can move it all over the neck. You know, if I need a B flat lick, I can take this a lick and slide it up one. And, and if I need a, let's say I need a C sharp lick. Well, I can play that same lick, but move it over here and up here and down, you know, and I was getting a lot of blank stares back because he didn't understand what I was talking about. I mean, he got the the basic gist of it, but what dawned on me at that point was that he did not possess at that time the basic music theory knowledge in order to even communicate and talk about these things. When I said, okay, when they're playing hot burrito breakdown and they hit that B flat chord, you know, I could take what I was doing in C and move it down a whole step and play it in B flat. You know, I could use those same kind of licks. Well, if you don't know how to form a, a major scale and you don't know what the chromatic scale is, how are we even going to talk about this? So, so the first thing that uh, came to my mind was in order to communicate and to be able to organize this sort of, um, what will ultimately be subconscious improv, how to organize that in your head. You need some basic music theory. So that was the first thing I decided. 
got to have some basic music theory. Doesn't have to be super deep, but it needs to be, you know, what I'm saying is a lot of instructional books, you start out and they teach you how to do something, how put your fingers here and play this string at the third fret and play it with a downstroke, but they don't say why other than to say, well, if you do this, you'll be playing soldier's joy, but you don't know, well, why? Why am I playing those notes? And when it goes to an A chord, why am I playing an E note? You know, explain that. You know, well, you need to, in order to explain that, you need some basic rudimentary music theory knowledge. So I kind of made, made a note of that. And well, what else do you need to know? Well, you need to know some important concepts. So this goes on and on, and I began accumulating this stuff, and he's, he's saying, and I'm trying to explain each of these things to him as he comes each week, and it's kind of disjointed, and I'm not organized, and I don't think I'm doing a very good job of making it clear. Well, long about four weeks into this, me trying to explain how I concoct an improvised solo, he says to me, he says, all this stuff is really good. I mean, that sheet you gave me last week, you know, I've been working with that and I feel like that's helpful. I think I had given, given him a little chart showing a closed position pentatonic scale. He's the only guy in the world that had it. But it was like, well, this is where I put my fingers and let me write that down for you. Gave him that. He says, you know what? You need to sit down and write a book. You need to put all this stuff because you give me this and give me that. And it's getting a little confusing. You need to sit down and write a book. I'm like, Danny, I can't write a book about this. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what I do. He's like, write a book. You need to write a book. You could probably sell some of these. He says to me, I'm like, yeah, right. First of all, you can't sell what you don't have. Yeah. I don't have a book. He's like, you should write the book. Well, long about that time, my wife had to go on a, on a extended trip. She was gone for about a week. And so he left his lesson and I was doing my usual thing that week, but I was sitting home alone in the evenings and it, what he told me, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And I thought, all right, Danny, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to get Danny to shut up. I'm going to write his book. And so I just went downstairs, started up the computer, and uh, pulled up a word processing document. I, I don't know what program I did it in, probably pages on the Mac. And I thought, what am I going to write? And I typed, learn to improvise. And I stared at the screen. And I was thinking about all these things I'd been trying to explain to him. Like, what is a major scale? What is a chord? What are chord progressions? How do we do these chord progressions by the numbers? What's a pentatonic scale? What's a blues scale? All these things that I thought 
you know, we could communicate better if I, if we both knew these things, if I said, well, I'm just kind of monkeying around here on a blue scale. Well, he needs to know what a blue scale is. So I thought, okay, well, let's just start there. And I started typing and I typed and I typed and I typed and I typed whatever came into my head. I typed and I made it through about 65 pages and periodically I would put in parentheses in the file show some show this in tab like when I was okay this is a chromatic scale I would put in parentheses insert chromatic scale tab and I would just keep going so when I came up for air about three days later, I had this massive document. And I thought, okay, well, I need to make those tabs. Well, back in those days, you know, there wasn't a lot of great software for creating tablature or standard notation. I didn't have any of that. I did have a little tab making program. So I tabbed out the little examples, very just enough to show what I was talking about. So that when I said this, I could show him and then he could put his fingers on the mandolin and, you know, hear what I was talking about. Here, a major scale here. Here are the notes. Zero, one, you know, two, three, that kind of thing. So I got all that done. Well, he's going to be coming back for his lesson. I think I'm going to surprise him. I'm going to print this book out. And so I did, I think by then it was up to, I don't know, 65 to 70 pages, single sided. I loaded up my laser printer with a stack of paper and I had gone through it once and run spell check on it and maybe bolded and stuck some little headlines in there. That was it. I hit print and I let that thing churn and it cranked out single sided, made this you know, inch thick stack of paper. And I thought, well, I'll put a cover on it. So I, I'm like, I, I don't really know what to call this. So I just got a, a blank sheet of cardstock and I opened up a document. I'm like, well, what is this thing? I don't know what to call this. I just type mandolin masterclass, put it in like, 100 point type times Roman by Bradley Laird. Printed that out, stuck that on top, stuck a blank one on bottom. And I had this old punch binding machine. So I spent 10 minutes punching the pages, five sheets at a time, found me a, a one inch spine or three quarters or something, bound that book. And I wrote across the front to Danny and I waited for him to come to his next lesson. So he shows up at the lesson and I walk in, I just flop it down on the stage. I said, here's your damn book. He starts thumbing through that thing. He's like, this is great. This is great. You really did this. I said, yeah, yeah. My wife's going to be back tomorrow. So it's lucky thing. She was out of town or I'd have never done it. I mean, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. 
and I'd only read back through it one time, just kind of looking for spelling errors. I, I really thought the only person in the world who would ever see this book was Danny Ernest. So I give him the book and we did our lesson and I kind of, mostly that lesson I was thumbing through and showing him what I put in the book. Oh man, this is great. You know, <laughs> boy, you ought to sell these. You could sell these. It's like, yeah, right. Right, get out of here. So anyway, a week goes by. He comes back. He says, this thing is great. I've been, I've been going through this book. This is exactly what I needed. This is, this is exactly. Can you explain to me here on page 32, you're talking about chord triangulation. Can you show me that? I'm like, here, yeah. Okay, see them charts? This is, watch my hands. This is what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Got it. So he'd, he'd come back next week, got that book under his arm. He'd say, uh, this thing here, over here on page, whatever, 43, you're talking about the blue scale. Um, can you show me that? Like, let me see that thing. Put it on the, uh, da, da, da. okay. All right. So here's, here's what I'm talking about. Do, 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 do. Show him that. Oh, super. So I'm beginning to get the idea that, you know, this thing is really useful, but it'd be really nice if somebody could actually see you do it too. So that kind of went in the back of my mind. So anyway, a couple of weeks goes by and he's still like, oh man, you could, you could sell these. these this is great. This is just what somebody needs. Of course, I was viewing it from my viewpoint. I didn't feel like people needed that. I didn't need that book. I went to the jam session and faked my way through a bunch of breaks, and I didn't need the book. Well, that's because I had been doing it since 1975 and had accumulated this information. He didn't have it, so it was a gold mine to him, and I just didn't realize it. I had no idea what I was sitting on there. And so he says to me, you should, you should sell these. Why don't you put it on eBay? I'm like, eBay? And this is, remember, this is the year 2005. I was familiar with eBay. I'd sold a bunch of old CB radio microphones. And one time I, I, I thought, God, everything I put on eBay sells. <laughs> Let me, I'd go through my desk drawer at work. I'm like, here's a little motor. Just a little tiny little motor. Yeah, take a picture of it. Describe it. List it. Cost 35 cents or something to list it. Well, I'll be darned. I sold that thing for three bucks. And I was cleaning out my desk drawer. You could sell anything on eBay when it first came out. But I thought, you can't sell a buck like this. So to prove him wrong, I made a listing. I took a picture of the cover and I uploaded the picture and I described the book. I wrote my first description of what's in this book and I put it up there and I, I didn't know what charge. I thought, God, it takes me an hour to make one. I'll, uh, I don't know. Let's make it like 25 bucks. Cause by God, if somebody buys one and it's a whole lot of trouble to make one, I'm going to make it worth my while. So I set the minimum bid at 25 bucks or maybe it was just buy now for 25 bucks i said this will show him this will prove to him that this is a completely worthless idea 
So a week goes by. He comes back to his next lesson. I said, I put the thing on YouTube. And I think you could see how many times it had been viewed or something. Had zero bids. I said, see there, Danny. That's a dumb idea. He said, well, there's this website called Manlin Cafe. And, and I'd heard of it. I hadn't visited it more than a dozen times. It was in its infancy. He said, they got classified ads. Why don't you put a classified ad on? I'm like, okay. Oh, and by the way, in the meantime, I had recorded um, some audio tracks to try to help you practice the things that are in the book. I sat down and recorded, you know, like chord progressions with a just a guitar and a bass and a mandolin. Like I would play the one, four, five chord progression. And I, I did this thing where I played all 12 chords, just a bluegrass rhythm, like boom, cheek, boom, cheek, boom, cheek, boom, cheek on a G. And then I would go around the circle of fifths and I would go to a D chord. Then I would go to the five of D and I'd play an A chord and I would work my way all the way around the circle of fifths. I made this circle of fifths jamming track so that you could get some practice playing on over every major chord all in one MP3 track. Well, it was a, it was a CD track then. Anyway, so I also made all these little tracks and I had this CD that I gave to Danny. So I had the book and the CD on you on uh, eBay didn't sell one, which proved to me that I was correct all along. No one wanted this. He says, "Put it on, put it on Manlin Cafe." I'm like, all right, Daddy, just to once again prove that you don't know what you're talking about, I'll do it. So he left, and I went on Manlin Cafe and put up a classified ad with a picture of the book with its black and white cover and a little description of what's in the book and that it comes with a CD and it's 24 bucks plus $5 shipping postage, postage and handling. I'm like, if I'm going to sell one of these and I'm going to have to print one out, I'm going to make it worth my while. And I went to bed. Now, the details are getting a little fuzzy because this was 13 years ago. But when I checked my email, I had, I think it was 30 orders. And basically what I had said was, if you want the book, send me an email and I will send you a PayPal invoice. And then when you pay that, I will ship you the book. Something like that. So I got 30 emails. I'm really interested in your book. Here's the blah, blah, blah. Send me the PayPal invoice. I'm like, oh man, I have touched some sort of nerve here. There must be a whole lot of people just like Danny who know 10 tunes and 10 chords and are lost at a jam session when they're trying to play a break on a song they don't know. I apparently have touch some sort of nerve here. I'm like, oh man, 30 of these things. I'm going to have to buy a new toner cartridge. I got to go buy a couple of reams of papers. I got to buy some CDs and labels and envelopes and spines. And oh my God, what kind of can of worms have I opened up here? But then I looked at it and went, yeah, but 30 times 25. Hmm. 
I believe this might be worth doing. So off I go to Office Depot and come back with a trunk full of, you know, all the necessary stuff I need to make these 30. And I'm thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to make 40 because, you know, there might be a couple of more people that want it. So over the next 24 to 48 hours, I cranked out books. You know, it's like arts and crafts world double-sided tape to stick the little CD envelope inside the back cover. And I still got a white cover and I'm still printing them one side only, you know, front side only on 20 pound white bond. It was a labor of, well, it wasn't a labor of love. Although I was thinking about, wow, that's a pretty good little pile of money right there. Hmm, man. <laughs> I'll be able to do my Christmas shopping, or I don't remember exactly what month it was. Anyway, so I'm just making the books. Well, another 15 orders comes in. And then five more the next day, and 10 more the next day. I'm like, this is getting insane. I don't want to be standing down here making books. And one of the guys that I shipped one to, by now they were getting in the hands of people. And uh, this guy said, man, this book, I really like this book. This is exactly what I wanted. Um, but you know what? You ought to come up with a really cool looking cover. It'd be cool if you had a cover. So I thought, all right, I'll sit down and I'll design a really cool looking cover. And I'll even have it printed in color because I got a little money. I'll go down to the print shop, have them run me off on their, you know, their color copier thing, have them put some cardstock in there and I'll come up with this really cool cover. So I designed a cover and it's, it's, it's a picture of the Pacific ocean with this, this statue guy coming out of the, out of the surf with a mandolin and it says, uh, audio CD included and all this stuff. So I made this little cover and I made a back cover with my picture on it, a little bio and so I try to like dress this thing up. I figured if I'm going to get 24 bucks for the book, I might as well make it look a little better. And so I went down to the little local print shop and I had them run me off 50 sets of these, the covers and the internal pages. And I had them do it two sided. So it'd be like a normal book. So you'd have, you know, your page one on the right and you open it up and then you got a two, three spread and then four or five, you know, just read like a normal book. I'm still printing my own CD labels and duplicating CDs, burning them on the computer. Well, this thing began to get out of hand. It, it got to the point where, you know, it was 300 or so in a month. And I was getting real sick of Sticking CDs in the computer, hitting burn, and waiting and waiting and waiting. So anyway, after a, a month or two of this, and it was tapering off a little bit. I mean, I think the initial burst was calming down a little bit, but I was still getting a steady, you know, order a day, couple a day, you know, that kind of thing. I was steady making books and mailing out the books. I didn't set out to do that. But I, but I think it must have, like I said, touched a nerve somewhere. It must, and I'm getting good reports back. People are writing back to me saying, this is really good. This is, you know, 
and you should do this. And do you have any other books? And just all sorts of feedback I was getting. But I was getting real sick of this bookmaking. So I thought, I need to find somebody else to do this. Because I'd rather be playing the mandolin, you know, than than going back and forth to the post office and shipping a, one book and two books. And, oh, man, I need, I need more CD labels. And I got to buy more 9 by 12 manila envelopes. And had to set up this little record-keeping system. And, you know, I think I was hand-addressing the envelopes in those days, mailing them out. There's got to be an easier way. So I sent a copy to Elderly Instruments. I said, I wrote this book, and I've sold this many books in this number of days. Would you guys like to just sell these instead of me? And so I worked out a deal with them where they would, I would sell them to them wholesale. So I didn't have to deal with the individual transactions. I didn't have to deal with individual shipping. I could ship them a box of 50 books with the CD. So all I had to do was make up the books, stick them in one box and send them off to elderly and just direct people there. So I did that. And I didn't make as much money, but I sure didn't work as hard either. It was a lot easier. So that it cruised along like that for a couple of years. And then I would get, you know, responses from people saying, Hey, you know, you were talking about this. Uh, do you have anything about this or that? You know, and I began to think of, well, I didn't say everything in that book. You know, I talked about a lot of concepts and, but I didn't really give them a whole lot of things to play. Hmm. Hmm. And I sat down and then created the book, which was the follow up to it called Mandolin Training Camp, where the whole book was stuff to play. And I'm not going to go into all that and it eventually led to the creation of mandolin excursion which was a book full of tunes and breaks and also to the mandolin handbook and that sort of wrapped up the series you might say and elderly was i was just wholesaling them and elderly was handling all the individual sales of them it was everything was just rolling along great and then i get a bright idea and uh Clayton, I am getting back to your question. Don't worry. I will come around to it because it sort of relates to what I'm going to talk about now. I kept remembering how Danny would say, can you show me that? And I would show him and he would get it. And I would think, you know, there are some things that are better described on paper. Like if I give you a chord chart and four or five days goes by and you've forgotten the chord you can look at the chord chart again it's a way to jog your memory same goes for tab standard notation you know if you have to rely totally on your memory you're going to forget some things so there are some things that print is very good for but then there are some things that print simply can't describe not you know the old thing of a picture is worth a thousand words a still picture helps but a video boy a video would be so much better and I had some of these homespun videotapes and DVDs were out. And I thought, if I could make a DVD that accompanied the book, in other words, you got Mandolin Masterclass, the book, and you got the tracks. If I had a DVD 
just to illustrate and show. Actually, show so someone could see how you do that. Boy, that would be the ultimate, and I could, I could just rest saying I've done my bit for society and to further the advancement of mandolin players throughout the world, and I would be done. I could, because I couldn't think of any other thing I could do, but I didn't know how to make a DVD. Back in those days, phones, there were no smartphones. This is 2005, we're talking 2006. Most phones just had little still cameras that took crappy pictures. Most computers didn't have cameras on board. You had to go down to, you know, the computer store and buy a little webcam. It was a little ball looking thing that you would clamp on the top of your, your, uh, you know, on top of your monitor or stick it on there with some glue or, you know, there were these little webcams. Well, I had one of those. It was called an eyesight camera that plugged into your Mac. I think it was Firewire. So I had this thing and there was iMovie built into the Mac and theoretically you could make a video. And I thought maybe I could learn how to do that and how to edit it and how to. So I made a couple of little test videos. I just pointed the camera at me and explained something about, you know, how to play thing. And one of the first ones I did was called the two finger blues trick. And it was really just a test to see if I could make a video and stick it on this brand new website called YouTube. And YouTube came out in 2000. I think it started 2005. It didn't go public till 2006. And it was still like in beta and it didn't really ramp up much until into 2007. Fall of 2006. Anyway, early in 2007, I posted my first mandolin lesson on YouTube. And to the best of my knowledge, I have not found one that is older. I found a guy that did some about a month after I did. Uh, Expert Village was was them now today of course you know you could spend the rest of your life watching you know somebody teach you something about a mandolin on on youtube but i'm pretty sure i put the first one up there and i i kept thinking but i, I don't know how to make a dvd but i had a friend of mine named jeff howald you can go back and listen to the jeff howald interview um i knew this guy and they were selling videotapes and they were selling DVDs, how to play the guitar. And they had a whole series of books and stuff that they peddled through music stores throughout the country. Well, they were hip to the whole YouTube phenomenon. And they wanted to start creating downloadable video lessons. Instead of having to ship DVDs, they wanted a person just to be able to download the video. And YouTube was, was a platform where they could have lots of free samples up there. You could have free lessons, you know, how to play the G chord, you know? And in those days, when you put up a YouTube video, it got a lot of views quick because there weren't, there wasn't as much competition. You know, if you search for mandolin, probably mine's going to come up in those days. I don't know if it still does, but they were, they were hip to this thing. And, 
they started with guitar, of course, and they started doing, you know, free YouTube videos, how to play the guitar. And then they were also on their website selling their books and DVDs and video lessons in downloadable form and things were picking up for them and it was getting kind of, kind of crazy. They were doing electric guitar and acoustic guitar and Jeff was launching into banjo, bluegrass banjo stuff and having some success with it. And, you know, people were finding out about it by seeing the free YouTube videos. Then they were coming over to the site and starting to download individual lessons, 20 minute videos with a PDF. You know, the routine I'm still selling them. That's the video lessons I sell. And that they thought, well, why not mandolin? And so Jeff contacted me and wanted me to create a series of online downloadable mandolin lessons and free YouTube video lessons to help promote those and so on and so on. Exactly what they were doing with banjo and guitar. And I was like, okay, I'll do it because I, I want to be able to make this DVD for mandolin masterclass. And if I go in there and learn how to do these videos and how all this works, and they had a two camera, you know, video studio set up with lighting and a teleprompter and they had good editing software and audio. They had everything. It was a TV studio that they worked in split screens, the whole deal. So I went to work for them and I was, um, directing shoots of other people. Um, you know, guitar lessons. I was doing bass, electric bass lessons. I was running the teleprompter and primarily though I was doing editing, but I was also starting to do my own mandolin videos and started out with doing a few free videos. And then I got into doing what they call the premium downloads, the longer lessons. And as I began to create the lesson content, I kept going back to mandolin masterclass. Because the things that Danny wanted me to show him, that's what I'm putting in this video. So I made videos like with titles, like what is a chord? What is a major scale? What is a pentatonic scale? What is a blues scale? So I was making these free videos that, and I was basically just, you know, like going to page 28 in my book and turning it into a little script for a video where I'm going to show that. And then I get into doing the, the longer premium lessons. I'm like, well, I need to teach people how to read tab. I need to teach them a song, a very basic song, and then I can make it a little more advanced. And I, you know, this thing just keeps building and building and building. And I keep going back to this mail masterclass for content ideas. Because there's a thing in Masterclass, I talk about chord triangulation, about how you can just take a basic chord shape and move it around to follow the, you know, if you want a one chord or a four chord or a five chord or a two chord, you just move them in these patterns. Let me show that in video form. So I made a series called Chord Triangulation. Um, if you were to look through the, um, the video titles that I created, they are pretty much the same stuff that's in that book where there might've been one page dedicated, dedicated to that idea in Mandela masterclass. 
I've now turned it into three 25 minute videos that show you how to do it and then show you a lot of things you can do with it. So this thing just kept building and building and building to where I'm peddling my books. And then I've got all these videos that explain in practical ways how to make use of that knowledge in the real world. And this thing just blossomed. I had no idea that I would be doing this. <laughs> you know, when Danny first said, Hey, you ought to write a book. But anyway, now, at a certain point, I was still holding on to that idea of making a DVD that went along with Mandalorian Masterclass. And one day, after about two years of creating these videos, and they're up there and they're selling, it dawned on me that I don't need to make that DVD because I've already done it. That video series is the DVD that I would have made, except... It's a whole lot longer. You know, there's many, 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 many more hours of stuff than I probably would have crammed into a hour and a half of it, uh, DVD. So I'm like, I don't need to make the DVD. It's all there. Everything I intended to, do to film, I've already filmed. So I'm done. Hey, great. I can move on to something else. Maybe I'll do climb or banjo. And I, you know, I began to just think of other things that, I knew how to do that. I thought somebody else might want to learn how to do. And by then I'd learned a lot about video editing and how to, you know, deliver a file to somebody and all these sorts of things. So now let me get to Clayton's question. His question was, you know, I've been working through your videos in the order that you suggested. Is it too early to get into the book Mantle Masterclass? And to that, I say, no, it is not too early because first of all, I, I probably called the book by the wrong title. I shouldn't have called it mandolin masterclass because it implies that it is some sort of high level. You got to be really good to get something out of this. And that is not what it is. And the reason I called it masterclass is because the book delivers information in the style of a master class. And if you're not familiar with what a master class is, let's say you were in the classical music world and there was this um, great double bass player. I'll use Gary Carr, for example, Gary Carr, one of the world's finest double bass players. And he's going to present a master class on a certain date at a college or something and you sign up and you go to his master class when you're sitting there in the auditorium and Gary Carr is up there and he starts talking he is not teaching you how to play a particular Bach piece it's not a lesson it's a master class he is going to tell you stories. He's going to play little examples so that you get what he's talking about. He's going to illustrate a lot of concepts. He's going to talk about the big picture. That's what a master class is. It's not the same as a lesson. And that's what Mandolin Masterclass is. That's the style it is. 
it's a broad overview and covers a lot of ground. But it's not going to teach you how to play old Joe Clark. That's what the videos do. So they kind of interlock. You could learn, and I'm speaking to you, Clayton, you could go through all the videos and learn everything in all of them in order, and you're going to gradually pick up on the stuff that's talked about in Mandolin Masterclass. But I think it would be easier if you were from time to time reading and thumbing through and working through Mandolin Masterclass so that as you encounter something in a video, you go, I've heard him mention that. For example, I don't know if in the, let's say you're learning Cripple Creek and you're in, you know, it's pretty early stages of the progression of videos and you're working on it. I don't think I said, and this second note is the second note of the pentatonic scale. And this would be useful to know when you're improvising in the key of A. I don't think I did that. I think I was just showing you how to play Cripple Creek and explaining the techniques of things like slides and hammer-ons. And... But then there are other lessons where there's one where I teach sit, sitting on top of the world in two keys. And if you learn these, it opens up some wide open doors for playing all over the neck. There's one called Pentatonic Roadmaps. It's a series, I think it's two lessons two videos that is almost verbatim out of Mandel Masterclass, but it's using the song Amazing Grace and you're going to learn to play it in every key, pretty much every key. I think eight keys. And when you learn it in eight keys and then you go back and you look at that section in Masterclass, you go, okay, that's what he's talking about here. That's how you can take a pentatonic scale and move it anywhere on the fingerboard and play in other keys or over other chords. So what I'm saying, Clayton, is they do go together because the videos really were an effort by me to illustrate what I was trying to tell Danny in Mandolin Masterclass when I sat down and wrote it. Okay, so anyway, Clayton, I'd say... Go ahead and get it. It will not hurt you. If you encounter something that doesn't seem appropriate, it probably six months from now will come up. And it won't hurt you to have a head start on on certain of these theory things. Uh, the book you know, has a, is a short course in music theory, but it's also a, a short course in, you know, conceptual ways to approach improv. And... I'm not going to get into all that stuff that's in there right now. But let me just say to wrap this up, and I appreciate your patience. I am approaching an hour here that I think one of the overlooked features of Mandel Masterclass are the audio tracks. There's some unique stuff in there. You're, you're not getting the full benefit of the book if you don't explore the tracks. And the last few pages of the book tell you, whole bunch of suggestions that I think of things you could do and play along with these tracks. And I think if you do that, the book is far more effective. And then the last thing that I want to say about this whole thing about how I had no idea I would be doing this back in 2005. And here I sit 13 years later, 
I just want to kind of describe how things have changed a little bit. I no longer sell my print books at all anymore. They simply became too expensive to produce when I realized I could send you an ebook version, a PDF version with a folder full of MP3 tracks. I could send you that a lot faster. You could have it the same day. It just, the everybody's internet speeds improved and their computers improved. And it's just a lot more practical now for you to go on and you can buy a video lesson and start downloading it and be using it, you know, and you don't have to wait on a DVD to come and a book to come in the mail and all that. So I just got rid of all the print stuff anymore. I still like a paper book, but I, I don't sell them anymore. So elderly does not carry my, my books anymore. I, you know, it's, you'd think I'd keep selling them, but it was just, I thought, well, I can, I can deliver all this stuff now through my pay hip store. You can get all of my videos and all of my books in instant download format. And it's a pay as you go plan. I don't make anybody subscribe to anything. I think about this. Imagine that you wanted to stop and put 10 bucks worth of gas in your car. And you walk in, you say, I want 10 on pump four. And they go, well, do you have a subscription? No, I just want 10 bucks worth of gas. Well, you have to subscribe and, and sign up. Give me your credit card and we're going to charge you. You know, imagine if you had to subscribe to buy a tank of gas or a hamburger. Uh, now, there are some, you know, like if you go to Costco, they make you sign up or whatever. So there are some that do that. But I feel like, you know, pay as you go is a better way. And, you know, if you want everything, you just want it all. Let's say you're a mantle player. Just buy, uh, buy them all, you know. I don't care. And the other benefit of buying the um, this material as a download versus a subscription is most of the subscription sites, I don't know if it's all of them, but the majority of them, you view the videos and the material online, which means you've got to be online. So, but maybe you're hanging, at, hanging out up at the cabin or you're going to Burning Man or whatever, and you don't have Wi-Fi. Actually, I'm sure they have Wi-Fi at Burning Man. But anyway, the point is with a download, once you download it, you got it. It's there. You can you got to watch it at three in the morning with the Wi-Fi off, or stick it on your tablet, or do whatever you want to with it. So, I'm kind of old school in that regards. I think of my my website store where you actually purchase things as kind of like a vending machine. It's like a a Coke machine with a whole lot of buttons on it, and you stuff your digital wallet into the slot. And then you push the button for the thing you want and bloop, it comes out at the bottom. That's, that's sort of how my site works. And it works 24 hours a day. I had a person this week in Finland buy my base instruction course ebook download. That's pretty cool. Somebody in Finland is going to be playing bluegrass bass. And I showed them how to do it. I mean, that's that. That's the concept. That's kind of cool. You know, I'm sound asleep and there's somebody in Finland downloading one of my books. I like that. I like that a lot better than being in the basement, making the books, punching the books, sticking the stickers on. And, you know, if you follow my drift, it's a whole lot easier for me. And guess what? It's a whole lot easier for you, too. Well, I've gone over an hour. 
I have told the long-winded masterclass story, and I have to say thank you to Danny Ernest. Danny, you were right, and I was wrong. There was somebody out there that wanted to buy this book. Y'all take care, and I'll talk to you in the next podcast episode.